The first reading this morning is taken from the first epistle to the Thessalonians, which you'll find on page 1186. It's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse uh, 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. And the second, second reading is from um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. It's on page 969 in the um, New Testament part of the Bible. So that's page nine, 969, Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. Amen. So in our, in our sermon series to start the new year, we're looking for principles 
uh, of good practice that we can apply to the way we deal with technology and, um, and our presence in that sort of um, digital world, but also to our lives. And it was clear to me as I read the passage for today that the best illustration was really the humble jam donut. Of course. When my children were small on a shopping day, sometimes for a real treat, I would buy a bag of freshly baked jam donuts. They liked nothing better than biting through the crisp sugary shell and finding that wonderful, surprising contrast of the tart sweetness of the raspberry jam. What a glorious mess they would get into and how they enjoyed discovering the jam. Then one day, by mistake, I bought a bag of custard cream donuts. Well, it was a disaster, you can imagine. The disappointment was immense because the treat that they'd been licking their lips in anticipation of didn't materialize. Now, I'm sure for some, custard cream donuts are very nice, but for my young family, they were a huge letdown. The bag of donuts was not what I had promised it would be, and I can tell you even now, some 20 years later, they still check the label really carefully. Lessons have been learned in my family. In 2015, we saw a long stream of sad cases of celebrity wrongdoing in the news. Repeatedly, high-profile people that we had thought of almost as a national treasure or a, certainly a fine, upstanding member of society. These people were accused of doing things in private that were unspeakably awful and not at all in line with the kind of people we thought that they were. Like the donuts that so disappointed my young family, they didn't stand up to scrutiny. From a distance, they looked like one thing, but when you examined their centre, you found something altogether different. Over these few weeks, we're exploring together ways in which we communicate with one another in sharing the gospel, not just in words, but in the way we live out our lives. Is the way we present ourselves consistent with what we believe? Would the people with whom you do business be surprised that you're at church today? Does your social media presence reflect your faith? Would your neighbors conclude just by watching you that you must be a Christian? Are your standards the same wherever you are and whoever you're talking to? It's a challenging issue in today's world but you know it's not a new problem for Christians to wrestle with. Today's readings ask us to think about the question of integrity. C.S. Lewis said that integrity is doing the right thing even if no one is watching. It's a good definition. Others suggest to have integrity means living in such a way that if someone spoke badly of you, no one would believe it. I wonder how you would define integrity. In our reading today, St. Paul writes to Thessaloniki, 
to the church he established there around in AD 49. Today, of course, it's the second most important city in Greece, but even then, it was a strategic place on the main trade route from Rome to the east. It had a good natural harbor. It was an important place. So what was Paul doing there, you might ask? Well, it is actually a very exciting story, and to get a really good grasp of what's going on, you need to read it alongside the book of Acts, because you get a lot more detail there, and it makes more sense. So the book of Acts tells us that on Paul's second missionary journey, he, along with his friends Silas, Timothy, and Luke, went on a very successful mission trip to Philippi. The gospel was preached, and many people became Christians. In fact, so much so that Paul's preaching caused quite a stir, and in spite of being a Roman citizen, which gave him rights and certain protection, he was publicly stripped, beaten, and humiliated. It was a deeply unpleasant experience, which he endured for the sake of the gospel. Not everyone liked him upsetting the status quo with talk of the Messiah and a new religion. But Paul preached boldly because he had complete confidence in Jesus. So, leaving Luke behind in Philippi, Paul, Silas, and Timothy moved on to Thessalonica, where Paul preached on three successive Sabbaths, we're told. He went to where the faithful gathered and using texts from the Old Testament, he preached the gospel. He went to where the people were and introduced them to Jesus in a language they understood. That's what missionaries do, I suppose. He proclaimed Jesus as Messiah and Jews were converted. He told of his experience and Gentiles found faith. He lived in an open and transparent way, and other people found his faith irresistible. A new church was established, but once again, opposition arose. In fact, there was a public riot, and legal charges were brought against the missionaries, and they fled the city under cover of darkness. It's a very exciting tale. Jason, the person that they'd been staying with, was dragged before the courts and accused of, of harboring troublemakers. So Paul and Silas went down to Athens, away from Thessalonica, but Paul sent Timothy back to see how things were doing, and he met up with him later to receive a report. That's what made him write this letter to the Thessalonian church. In what we would today term a comprehensive smear campaign, Paul's critics wanted to undermine and discredit him. They accused him of running away because he was a charlatan. They accused him of preaching not because he cared about his followers, but because he was in it just for self-centered gain. It really would make a very modern scandal accusations of Paul's ministry really being about sexual immorality, money, prestige, and power. 
Paul is as open in his own defense as he was in his ministry. In this letter, he appeals to the Thessalonians to judge him on the basis of what they've seen him doing. He has nothing to hide. I wonder if we would have the courage to do the same. If unprincipled people made accusations against you, would, be there, would there be any evidence to support their stories? How transparent is your life of faith? In spite of the unpleasant experience that Paul had had in Philippi, God gave him the courage to continue preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, and he appeals to his brothers and sisters in Christ to judge him on the basis of the life he led whilst he was with them. Paul asks them to judge not simply on the basis of words, but also on the way he lived amongst them whilst in Thessalonica, because in living amongst them, he's come to love them. He compares his love for them as the love of a parent. First of all, the love of a mother. And then also, the love of a father. If you watch a mother playing with her children, she will often bob down to the level of her children and speak in a language that they share. Now, I have several friends who work high up in medicine or banking and law. They have really important, high-powered jobs. But when they're at home with their children, they're gentle and caring, concerned to meet their children and deal with them on their level. They share their lives with their children in an intimate way. Equally, he says, a father's love offers example and instruction. When I think of my dad, he offered me always wisdom and encouragement, as well as comfort and high standards to live by. Sometimes they were very high. Now, no human being um, is infallible, especially parents. And this word picture might not speak too well to you. Some parents mess up out of their own brokenness. And some have to bring up the children alone and do the best they can to parent as both mother and father. But the image that Paul explains here is clearly intended as one of intimate connection. Paul is explaining that he has endeavored to urge them to live well, to live lives worthy of the kingdom. He reminds them how hardworking he was. Now we know from the book of Acts that Paul earned his keep as a tent maker probably by night, leaving him free to preach during the day. Tent making is jolly hard work and it doesn't pay very well. It was quite a hard life, but people are willing to suffer for the things they believe in. Paul wasn't looking for freebies. He tried to pay his way, even though missionaries could normally be expected to have hospitality from the churches. 
He didn't want to be a burden. The picture he paints is that he lived life with integrity whilst he was with them. And now that he's far away, he has anxiety for their well-being because he loves them as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a genuine affection born out of a shared faith, not a concern for what others will think or a self-seeking desire to look good. His sense of responsibility is to God and God alone. His relationships are genuine because God is the only one he's seeking to please. And he sees right to the core of our hearts, whatever it is we're doing. We're accountable to him and he can't be fooled. He knows whether you're really a jam donut or not. In the first century church, this kind of love in the community was revolutionary. It brought permanent change to the lives of individuals and transformed the community because it encouraged people to live together in openness and honesty because of God's call on their life. It was the kind of love that lived sacrificially, the kind of love that went about its business in the name of Jesus so that every part of life was shared in a way that honored his name. I wonder what that kind of community would look like in the 21st century. The motto of Trinity College, where Simon and I both trained for ministry, is live like the kingdom is near. Why is that a good motto, I wonder? Well, if you thought Jesus was going to return at any moment, perhaps it would encourage you, quite simply, to live well, to be the best you you could be. To live life in a way that pleases him today, that perhaps shares God's love with someone else today. Some people put off making improvements to the way they live because it's too much effort. Perhaps it's just easier to live in a self-centered way. Perhaps kingdom living requires adjustments to the way we make decisions. Perhaps it would require us to put others first, to live life in a way that reveals God's love for us in our dealings with one another. Do we here at St. Swithin's live like the kingdom is near? Do the people we live amongst, our neighbors, colleagues, and friends, do they know we're people of faith simply because of the way we live? St. Francis of Assisi is often quoted as having said, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. I love the challenge in the understatement. It doesn't matter what your daily routine contains. You could be a powerful business person, or you might be unemployed and feel without much power at all. You could spend your life designing cutting-edge technology like Matt and Alex, 
Or you might struggle with the can opener in your kitchen. You might talk to dozens of people every day, or you might find that your life doesn't lead you to talk to many people from one end of the week to the next. You might be the kind of person who requires, uh, whose life requires, sorry, for you to carry a smartphone. You might answer emails, send texts, comment on Twitter and Facebook, or you might not. The question for Paul, for St. Francis, and for us, is does the way we do, whatever we do, tell of Christ's love for us? Some years ago, I used to live in Margate, and they're very, very proud of their seaside traditions there. Margate Rock is a sugary treat that is probably terrible for you, certainly not good for your teeth in so many ways. But do you know it has integrity? Wherever you break it, you will find the word Margate running through its core. It's very clever. You can watch it being made. But it contains a challenge for us. If someone was to scratch our surface, What would they find underneath? What word runs through your heart? If we are what we say we are, as Christians, Jesus should be the name that inspires our every word and our every deed. He should be in our hearts with every text or email we send every vine we view, every tweet we post, every person we meet. Our faith should not be in a box that we get out on a Sunday morning like a nice hat for a wedding or a smart pair of shoes. It should run through the very core of our life. It could, if we allow it, change who we are, how we speak, how we behave. It should affect every part of our existence. In a moment, we'll gather around the communion table and we'll remind ourselves of the depth of the love that Jesus felt for us as he came and lived amongst us. It was a love that didn't hold anything back. Every part of his life he gave for our sakes when he died on the cross for our sins. As part of the service, we'll share the peace with one another. It's an opportunity to share God's love with our neighbor, whether you know them or not, to look someone in the eye and bless them in the name of Jesus. It's not an opportunity to catch up with old friends, to ask after the family or your health. That's for coffee time afterwards. It's a really precious reminder that Christ's love is for all, and it's in all we do. All are welcome, and the sacrifice we remember at the communion table was for everyone. No one is excluded. Sunday morning service is but a snapshot in our week. 
It's a lovely bit, but it's only a tiny part of our week. The challenge from St. Paul this morning as we gather around the communion table is to allow the love we remember here to truly penetrate our hearts and lives. The challenge is simple. Be like Margate Rock. If you're cracked open at any point this week, wherever you are and whatever you are doing, let the name of Jesus be found written on your heart. As a community, whether we're gathered to worship or dispersed across the city getting on with the rest of our busy lives, may we be known as people of integrity, people of the cross, because we do truly live like the kingdom is near. Amen.